have your Bibles, I want you to take them to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter number 20. Revelation chapter number 20. Just as God is good, we must also be reminded that God is just. Is just. You know, there's a lot of talk these days about justice and uh, misplaced justice. Uh, sections of society that say that there is no such thing as justice. Well, I want to assure them, and I want to assure you, you that have been wronged, and, and all of us have been slighted and wronged to some degree at a time or another in our lives, I want to remind you that there is ultimate justice. And Revelation chapter number 20 gives us a picture and a showing of that justice, that day of reckoning. Revelation chapter number 20, look at verse number 11. We'll read down through the end of the chapter in verse 15. The apostle John here is writing in verse number 11, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was no place, place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works." And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I want to speak to you this morning on the subject, the great white throne judgment. The great gospel preacher, Dr. Harry Ironside, on one occasion was taking a mission trip overseas. And when he got off the plane, he was met by a deacon who had been appointed to drive Dr. Ironside from the airport to the church. And so as they're making this journey to the church, the deacon began with some small talk and began to ask Dr. Ironside what was he going to preach on. Well, Dr. Ironside surprisingly said to the deacon, well, what would you like me to preach on? And the deacon said in response, well, I would like to see you preach on the love of God. And I said, well, that's all right. I can do that. What text would you like me to use uh, to preach that message on the love of God from? And the deacon responded, well, if there's one well-known passage for the love of God, I believe it would be John chapter 3 and verse 16. And so Harry Ironside agreed to it. And on the first night of this meeting, as they were sitting in the congregation and during the worship service, Ironside was sitting next to this same deacon. And during the service, the deacon leaned over and whispered into the ear of Dr. Ironside, whatever you do, don't mention hell. Don't mention hell. Ironside, in moments later, rose uh, from the, uh, the, the place where he was sitting and come to the pulpit and ask the congregation to turn their Bibles to John chapter 3 and verse number 16. And from that verse he began to read, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not... And then there was a long pause. 
His eyes turned to the deacon and he looked at him and said, What should I tell them now? Even in a verse that is drenched with the love of God, there is this recognizing, there is this truth of the judgment of God. Uh, Just as there is a God of love presented in the Bible, there is a God of justice and judgment. Hebrews 9.27 tells us, And as it is appointed to men once to die, and after this the judgment. Ecclesiastes 12.14 For God shall bring every work into judgment, and with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Matthew 10.15 says, Verily I say unto you, It shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. 2 Peter 2.9 The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. But nowhere in the Bible is the facts of God's impending judgment found more sharp in its clarity than in our text in Revelation chapter number 20 verses 11 through 15. This is the final judgment. It is the last time in which sinful men's eyes will look upon and stand before a holy God. This is a comprehensive judgment. No one who has rejected the saving gospel of Jesus Christ will be excused from this judgment. Those who have not believed on the Lord Jesus as their Savior will not escape this dreadful day depicted in Revelation chapter number 20. You know, the Bible often uses the word saved. Saved. For example, Acts 16.31 Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and what? Thou shalt be saved. Romans 10.13 Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved. Uh, Ephesians 2.8 For by grace are you saved. It is a Bible word. It is a word that we often throw around in our usage in Christian circles and even in our evangelism. And I fear sometimes that we we circulate that word so much that we lose its meaning. To be saved from what, one might ask. The scene in our text in Revelation chapter number 20 is the very event from which the believing Christian is saved, excused from. They will not meet this event. Today I want to give you three instructions. Three instructions that will bring you face to face with this horrifying day. Three instructions that if observed will drive you to the feet of the Savior who is willing to save you From this day of judgment. That's what it means to be saved. To be exempt from Revelation chapter number 20 verses 11 through 15. So let's look at these these three instructions. First of all, the first instruction is this. You must visualize the setting of this judgment. Visualize the setting of this judgment. Look at verse number 11. He said, and I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven 
fled away and there was found no place for them. You know, most of us, when we think about a courtroom scene, we might imagine a large oak desk behind which a black-robed judge makes his rulings. We may think of a, a mahogany gavel from which the court's attention is summoned and it represents the authority of the judge's ruling. We might think of a place where lawyers argue and debate, uh, where, they're, where the convicted sits on one side and the prosecution sits on another side, and jurors decide the fate of the individual. But the courtroom scene before us in Revelation chapter number 20 is vastly different from what we see on the television screen, screen and in our courtrooms of today. First of all, we see a significant throne. Verse number 11, it talks about a great white throne. As John envisions and sees this judgment day, he describes this throne. It is great, he, he, he describes it as great. Not necessarily maybe for its size, but for its service. Why? Because it is occupied by the judge of all judgment by the King of all kings, by the Lord of all lords. It is occupied by Jesus Himself. Notice it is described as a white throne. A great white throne. You know, it's not golden from which many of the thrones of men are made from in this hour. It is not made of black marble hewn from the depths of the earth. It is not a throne bespeckled with jewels and diamonds of sapphire and amethyst. No, it is a pure, pristine, unblemished, white throne. As white as the driven snow. Matter of fact, the word used white here is a word that is used to describe Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Do you remember that scene where he carries Peter, James, and John up to this high mountain? And in that mountain, he is transformed and his, his visage and his clothes and everything about him became gleaming white. Uh, Matt, uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew, Mark, and Luke describe it. Matthew said it was as white as pure light. Mark says his clothes became whiter than any fuller on earth could make them. And Luke uses the word glistering for the word white here in our text. It speaks of absolute purity. Absolute righteousness. No infallibility whatsoever. All the judgments that shall come from this throne are not tainted with influence, are not swayed uh, with, with, any, uh, with any, uh, 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 any kind of bribery, any kind of misinformation. The judgments from this throne are without blemish. Due to recent advances in DNA technology and testing, there have been over 200 convictions that have been turned over in reversal. Because of the DNA evidence that we can now see and interpret and understand, the judgment that was made many years ago without that evidence 
has been seen as flawed and faulty and that conviction has been overturned. But I want you to be assured of this, that the verdicts from this throne are of the highest degree of reliability. They are without error. They are coming from a, a one, a judge who is perfect in his knowledge and understanding. Sin will not be slighted, lightly judged, leniently understood. At this white throne, there will be no debates, no appeals, and no repri- reprieves. It, this throne is absolutely perfect in its judgment. Unlike our thrones of our human frailty and capability, this throne is absolutely perfect in its judgment, in its knowledge, and in its, in its, uh, its, its, uh, its judgments. A significant throne. Then we see also a sovereign judge. Look at verse number 11 again. And I saw a great right throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. This is a significant throne. This significant throne was occupied by one whom which John describes from whose face all the earth and the heaven fled away. Now I believe that we can be confident, even though Jesus personally is not named in this particular passage, I believe that Jesus Christ Himself is the very face from which the earth and the heavens fled away. He is the very one that sits upon this throne and makes these judgments. Why? Listen to what Jesus said in John 5.22. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto who? His Son. Acts 17.31, Paul is on the mount of Mars Hill and he's preaching to all of the knowledgeable Greeks of that day. Listen to what he says at the close of his message. But he, God, hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, wherever given assurance unto all men, and that he raised him from the dead. Who is the main one that is raised from the dead? Who is Paul preaching? Who is Paul telling about that has been brought from the dead? It is none other than Jesus Christ. Judgment has been given to Jesus. I believe that Jesus will be this judge on the great white throne. The one on this throne that sits in these verses in verse number 11 has scars of the crucifixion in his hands and in his feet. He will show the marks of the crown of thorns upon his brow and neath his pure white judicial robes will be the wound in his side from the spear thrust into his heart. This judge will be Jesus. You know, when Jesus came the first time, men despised His face. A Pharisee scowled in the corner and plotted His execution at the very sight of Jesus. They derided the face of Jesus on the cross, mocking Him by saying, If you are the Son of God, come down now and save yourself. They defiled that face of Jesus when they cleared their throat and they spit into His face. They damaged that face when they 
smote him on the cheeks and pulled out his beard. But in this day, the face that was damaged and derided and despised will be the face that they will have to deal with. The scripture tells us that the earth and the heavens fled from this face. If you and I were to take a a giant ice cream scoop, I got your attention now, ice cream. A giant ice cream scoop, and we were to go to the sun, the very center of our solar system, and took that ice cream scoop and scooped out all of the insides of the sun and emptied it to where it's just a shell. Scientifically, they tell us that we could fit inside the sun 1,300,000 planet Earths inside the sun. Think about it. One million worlds the size of, more than one million, the size of our Earth could fit inside the sun. It's mind-boggling to think of how big our universe is, how big the sun is. Our sun in our galaxy, or our not in our solar system, but in our, in our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, our sun is a medium-sized star. So that means there's a lot of stars that are bigger and a lot of stars that are smaller. But within our galaxy alone, there are roughly a billion other stars, some larger, some smaller, than our star here in the solar system. All of these elements, and not only that, but there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of other solar systems, other galaxies in this universe, all of a sudden, do you see the smallness of who we are and the largeness of our God? And listen to what John says. He says in that moment when he takes that throne in judgment, the earth and the heavens flit away like cockroaches when you turn on the light. You ever done that and been creeped out? You turn on the light and there's some bugs. Maybe it happened to me in college. Well, when I was in college one time, didn't realize we had a lot of bugs. Moved something back and just went everywhere. Think of our universe. Scurrying away as far as it can from the face of Him that sets upon the throne. Here is the setting of this judgment. Jesus sits upon a pure white throne surrounded by nothing but empty space in front and before Him is the guilty sinner. No place to hide. No place to run. Nothing under which they can hide their face or nothing from which they can move away from this man on the throne. Jesus on a throne with a sinner before Him. That is the setting of this judgment. But now, I want you to say, recognize, secondly, recognize the substance of this judgment. 12 and 13 kind of give us the idea of what's taking place here. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open. Verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works. You know, I've only been in a courtroom one time. And one time was plenty for me. It was about a, about a uh, traffic ticket, a speeding ticket when I was in college. And 
that judge's scolding and warning to me was all I needed to slow down and take my foot off that gas pedal. You probably know something of the proceedings in a courtroom, right? You've seen Perry Mason. or You guys don't even know Perry Mason. You guys have seen Law and Order. You know when they go into the courtroom and uh, uh, you know all these things happen. The judge enters the room and the bailiff says all rise and everybody stands up. And uh, the judge asks the bailiff, what's the next case? And it's case 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, D, you know, something like that. And he plops down the file in front of him. The court reporter begins to type on that little machine. The lawyers then stand up and begin to give their proofs of evidence and debate with the, with the, uh, the, the, per, the prosecution and the defense. And they go back and forth and the, uh, the, the, the jurors are brought into the room and, and they're, they're seated there as the trial begins to take place. This is how courtrooms work in our world. How will the courtroom work on that day? We've already said that it's a different setting altogether. What will be this court's proceedings in that day? First of all, we see the drawing of the dead. In verse number 12 and 13, as I read earlier, all of the dead. You know, many of people in the world today, down through history, have the idea that they can live as wicked as they please, and then one day they will die, and they'll just cease to be. I remember years ago, I was talking with a gentleman at a park, and a uh, just a park, struck up a conversation, began to witness to him, and I asked him the question, what do you think happens after a person dies? And the man looked over at a tree nearby, he says, you see that bird in that tree? When that bird's heart, little heart stops beating, and, it, and it's unable to flap its wings, and it loses consciousness and falls from that tree, and hits the ground, and begins to, to rot, and its, and its feathers begin to blow away, he said, the exact same thing that happened to that bird will happen to me when I die. My heart will stop beating. I will just simply cease to be. I'll become, I'll be the circle of life. I'll just come right back to the earth and right down uh, and, and rot in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a grave somewhere. Some people believe that that's the way life is. That once this ride through the life is over, then it's over and done. Nothing else, to, nothing else will be done. Uh, they believe that they can live as in the days of Noah, eating and drinking and giving in marriage. Is there anything wrong with eating, drinking, or giving in marriage? Not necessarily. But here's the thing that with the day of Noah, they did so without God. That's the greatest sin. The greatest sin is having no place for God. That's our world today. They live life as if there is no God. But according to the Word of God, death is not the end of the story. The witnesses of the only man to ever rise from the dead tell us that there is more to come. John who saw the body of our risen Lord Jesus is envisioning and seeing this divine revelation tells us that death is not the end. Notice our text. Every It talks about the dead small and great stand before God. Verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. These, this witness, uh, John the Revelator, tells us that every molecule that makes up mankind will be gathered together 
from the deepest, slimiest depths of the sea, from the cold clutches of the deepest grave, these molecules will be brought together to mold the body of that one that rejected Jesus Christ, that soul that had been in conscious torment in hell will be delivered up by death in hell and that corrupted body will meet that, that burned soul and be put together for this final judgment. To stand before Jesus Christ. To appear before Him in judgment. Notice that death gave up their dead. Death, the cold tomb containing the dusty bones of the deceit, hell holding the burning, tormented souls of the damned. These two are reunited to stand face to face before God. Every last human being without repentance toward God or faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ will stand before God in judgment. Notice in verse number, number 12, both the small and the great will stand before Him. Every world dictator, Caesar, Napoleon, Hitler, Stalin, Bin Laden, these despots will stand with their hands bloodied with the murder of millions. They will face Jesus Christ in the day of judgment. Every famous philosopher or educator like Charles Darwin, Karl Marx, Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens, which have turned both individuals and societies toward hell with their atheistic philosophies and evolutionary ideologies, they will stand before Jesus Christ. Every world-renowned media giant like Hugh Hefner, Lady Gaga, or Oprah Winfrey and the like who are fountainheads of ungodliness and wickedness who turn hearts away from God throughout all of their careers, they too will stand before Jesus Christ in this day of judgment. The great will stand before Him and also the small. The nameless drug dealer on the corner the secret child molester and pedophile, the drunk passed out on the park bench, uh, all, of the, all of the nameless ones in society who shake their fist at God, who reject the loving call of His gospel, they will stand before Jesus Christ in this day of judgment, the drawing of the dead, and then the presentation of the proof. You know, there is something of this judgment that is in our courtrooms today. And it is, I believe, indelibly written upon our hearts to seek justice, to seek truth and judgment. And what happens in our courts today? The proof is presented. The evidence is given. It is no different in this judgment. Look at verse number 12. And the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. These proceedings will then be followed by the presentation of the proof. Our scriptures tell us that the books will be opened. Evidently, one of these books contains the evidence of the works within a sinner's life. He talks about, in verse 13, every man be judged according to their works. So evidently, there is a book which contains that individual's works, what they have done. 
Have you ever heard of someone having their life flash before their eyes? Maybe you've experienced that. You've had a, a, a near-death experience, maybe a, a sudden clash or an accident or something, and you, you, you have a, a, a sense in which your whole life passed before your eyes. Dr. Wilbur Penfold, who, is the, uh, who was at one point the director of the Montreal Neurology uh, Institute, he wrote a report on the brain and its function, and he said this in his report. Your brain contains a permanent record of your past that is like a single continuous strip of movie film, complete with a soundtrack. How many can identify that? How many of you ever hear a song and it takes you back to a point of vivid memory in your life? It contains a soundtrack and this film library records your whole waking life from childhood on. You can live again those scenes from your past one at a time when a surgeon simply applies a gentle electrical current to the center point of the, of the temporal cortex of your brain. Realize this. Every moment of your life, every moment of my life, although I cannot immediately, consciously right now, recall that in many situations. It's very difficult to recall certain things. But every moment is right here. It's in our mind. Every judgment, every word, everything we've ever said, every conscious action of our lives is in our minds. Listen. God is keeping record. Think about everything you've ever done in your life. And out there in eternity, suspended in space, God takes the books of the deeds of your life and He brings them as evidence against you. Evidence for which there is no argument. It's there. All you can do is agree with it because it's right here. It's in your mind. It is there. Notice there is another book as well. Listen to John 12, 48, our Lord Jesus speaking. He that rejecteth me is not re is re and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him the word that I have spoken. The same shall judge him in the last day. Take your notes. John 12, 48. The same shall judge him in the last day. What, is, what word is he talking about? He's talking about the Bible. See, that's where the evidence is weighed out. Our actions that are there in a book, in our mind, we can't dispute it, are judged against the Word, the Bible. The Bible will be brought to bear against the sinner in that day. You know, today man wants to stand in judgment over the Bible. They want to decide what is true and what is accurate. What is fact and what is fairy tale. And they want to say that of the Bible, well, you have to understand the culture in which this took place, that, that such things were seen as, as ill and, and, and looked down upon, but we, we don't necessarily have to follow that. We've been enlightened as we've, as we've evolved and grown as a society. No, no, no! 
The Bible says what it says. And Jesus says in the day of judgment that the Word, His Word, shall judge the sinner. In that day, you know, man likes to judge over the Bible, but in that day, the tables will be turned. And the Word will, will sit in judgment of men. All the evidence will be brought to light. There's a neat illustration of something of this same idea from the Second World War. As the Allied forces come in and took over Germany, there was found a roll book of those who were part of the Nazi party, which added up to about 8 million people. And that book was let loose. It was turned over to authorities. And within that book, there were the great, the small, and the great, the prestigious, the rich, the great politicians, and those of lesser stature. People who loved being in the leading, ruling party, who had all the power, and all the prestige, and all the wealth. I'm sure that they gladly took that pen and, and wrote their names large in that book of the Nazi party. But see... Upon being found by the Allied forces, everything was different. Now this book, this ledger was in the hands of those who would impose judgment and justice for those that they had murdered. It was in the hands of those who deemed their actions as commissions of war crimes. Crimes against humanity. And to this day, there are still people, I read recently, or heard recently, that there was a man that was located in a foreign country who was in his 90s, who was a known member of the Nazi party, a Nazi soldier at a concentration camp at 90 years old. He's been brought to judgment for his crimes against those Jews that were killed in the Holocaust. That is a picture of that book which records their names which records their deeds, their actions, and finding them out. Listen, but on this day, in Revelation chapter number 20, there will be nowhere to run to from the proof that is presented. Thirdly and lastly, visualize the setting of this judgment, recognize the substance of this judgment. Finally, thirdly, memorize the sentence of this judgment. Look at verse 14 and 15. Revelation chapter number 20. Verse 14. And the death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, and this is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. If there is one moment that I desire to be forever etched upon the mind of every individual uh, in this room and listening to this message, it is the sentencing that we see at this judgment. Notice two things and I'm done. Number one, I want you to see the verdict rendered. Verse number 15. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So, one book contained the deeds in which the guilty sinner could not argue against. The other book contained the Word of God in which establishes God's righteous rulings, His judgments, His laws. So the, but the ultimate verdict comes from a third book. 
A third book that determines the eternal state of the trembling sinner standing before the eyes of a holy God. And it seems to emanate from what our text calls this book of life. I believe there are other passages of Scripture that, that gives the, uh, the descriptor of the Lamb's book of life. You'll find parallel passages speaking of the same book called the Lamb's book of life. This trial is not resolved by argument or rebuttal. Because the awestruck sinner has no words to say to God in defense. Romans 3.19 gives the defense of the sinner before God. Now we know what things soever the law saith. It saith that under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world become guilty before God. These sinners stand before God. There is no defense. And the ultimate determination of their destiny boils down to this Lamb's book of life. You know, Jesus referred to this book Himself in Luke 10 and verse number 15. Notwithstanding in this rejoice, not talking to His disciples. You remember Jesus sent His disciples out uh, to towns and villages to, uh, to proclaim the gospel, to, to heal lives, to raise dead, to do all manner of things. And they accomplished that. And when they came back, they came rejoicing, saying, Even the demons are subject unto us. And Jesus responded, not with this, Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. He's talking about that Lamb's book of life that contains all the names of those that have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Those that have been ransomed of God. Those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus. When I was a 21 year old college student, my name was indelibly inscribed in that Lamb's book of life. When I threw up a plea and a cry to heaven, Oh God, save me, forgive me of my sins. It was in that hour that my name was added to that book. Never to be removed. Never to be erased. It was then that I could sing with all the confidence of my heart my name which stood with sinners lost and bore a painful record. But by His blood, the Savior crossed and placed it on His roll. I know my name is there. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I ask you, is your name recorded there? Can you with confidence sing that same song? My name is written in the Lamb's book of life. The verdict rendered... And then the vengeance released. Look at verse number 14. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. There are several kinds of death mentioned in the Bible. There is the physical death, which represents that separation of the soul, the eternal part of man, the imago dei, that that, that image of God as we as image bearers have that eternal existence, the soul of man from the body. This, there is also a spiritual death. As inheritors of the seed of Adam, we are born in sin and therefore spiritually dead in trespasses and in sin. Spiritual death is a separation between our life and the life of God. But the second death, as described here in verse number 14, is that eternal separation from God for all eternity where both soul and body of the sinner is 
cast into the torments of the wrath of God in hell forever and ever and ever and ever. Here in this moment of execution, body and soul, death and hell are joined together and forever cast into the lake of fire. Memorize in your mind's eye the pleading for mercy that has long since evaporated. The begging for more time for God's, when God's long suffering has already ended. Let the tears and the screams ring in your ears today. Let the cries of regret resonate in your mind. This will happen one day. The Bible spares us the gruesome and graphic description of the doomed and the damned. It simply closes the picture over and it is gone. Forever gone. Forever gone. I don't know if I as a saved child of God will be at attendance during this judgment. I, I don't know that. Some say yes. Some say that we will be present, that we will say amen to God's judgment in that final day. Some say we will not. I don't know. The Bible is silent on the issue. But it is horrifying enough to read the words of the Scripture today and then speculate and envision the horror of this coming day. I tell you, the door of repentance is wide open. This day is still yet in the future. It's not here. It's not right now. It is someday in the future. And what that means is, is there is the opportunity, the doors of God's grace are wide open for all to come. If you're here today without Christ, you are a blind man that walks along a precarious edge of a deathly cliff. At one moment, the wrong step could take you into eternal life. You could fall in this moment. It hangs out over hell. You could go out into eternity. And your only next destination is this very judgment spoken of in the Scriptures. I beg you, flee to Jesus. Come to the cross. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. If you're here and you're lost today, you've never embraced Jesus Christ, I beg you to come. Come while this date is still in the future. Come to Jesus. I'm reminded of the song we used to sing and when I was a kid. Its words would say, Why so thoughtless are you standing while the fleeting years go by? And your life is spent in folly. Oh, prepare to meet thy God. Careless soul, oh, heed the warning. For your life will soon be gone. Oh, how sad to face the judgment unprepared to meet thy God. I know in a, in a crowd this small that more, more than likely you're here this morning and you know the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you, you're, you're able to walk back in time to a, to a moment in which you... you you said yes to Jesus. You, you came in repentance and, and you can have confidence that in that moment God put your name in that Lamb's book of life. I want you to understand something. That is the reason we worship and celebrate. That's the reason we gather together here. Because we have been saved from just such a date. 
saved by the one who shed his life's blood, who gave his very divine breath on the cross to pay our sin debt. We come and worship him for what he has done for us. And mainly he has saved us from this day. We'll never see this day. We'll never see it. We'll never stand before the holy eyes of God and give account of our sin. Why? Because our account is settled long ago. Long ago, the old account was settled long ago. If you're here today and you're saved by God's grace, cling tightly to that gospel. Glorify your Savior. And also open your tongue. Open your mouth, not only to sing His praise, but to share the old, old story of what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's all stand with a song of invitation. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light, page 264. Page number 264. If you're here today and you're lost, you don't know the Lord Jesus, I beg you to come. I'll take the Bible and show you how you can know you have eternal life. If you're saved, glorify your God for what He has saved you from. Let's sing at the cross. Go ahead, Brother Roger.